We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. I'm excited this morning. We are in week three of our series called Next Gen. And what we've been looking at over these three weeks uh, is what does it mean to invest what matters into the next generation? This Next Gen series, this Next Gen campaign is about recognizing the biblical mandate that we have as believers to impart our faith to the next generation. And we believe the first and most important place this happens is in the home. Discipleship begins in the home. We believe the church is a partner with the home, but it, the home is first, the church is secondary. Now, we don't do this in isolation. Uh, we don't do this only in the home. Uh, when you think about where we've been the last few weeks, if you haven't been with us, we're in Deuteronomy 6. And what we've seen in Deuteronomy 6 is Moses is teaching the entire nation of Israel. So he's telling them all these truths, and he's telling the entire covenant community of God which means they are meant to receive this and learn this and teach this in covenant community. And that's the same is true for us, passing on our faith to our children, evangelizing our children, raising uh, disciples of Jesus. We do not do this alone. We do it in a gospel-centered partnership and in covenant community. And so um, that's kind of what we see happening here, and it's what we have translated. It starts in the home, but it is in partnership with the church. And if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, let me kind of tell you what we've looked at in week one and week two. In week one, we looked at uh, Deuteronomy 6, and we looked at verses 1 through 3, where we saw that God was giving this mandate to the people of God to pass down their faith to their children and their grandchildren. And we talked about what it means to transmit what we treasure. Remember, we talked about how we're going to transmit something to our children. What we're going to transmit are the things that we treasure, so we ought to be treasuring the things of God. And so Moses tells them, you're going to transmit these truths. And in last week, we looked at verse 4 and 5 of Deuteronomy, and these two verses are called uh, the Shema. That word just means here. It's the first word of Deuteronomy chapter 4. Hear, O Israel, Shema, listen, pay attention. What I'm about to say is important. That's what Moses was saying. Hear, O Israel. And they were given that wonderful teaching about the oneness of God and how we are to love him. And matter of fact, Jesus called that the greatest commandment in all of Scripture. And now this morning, we're going to look back in Deuteronomy 6. We're going to start back in verse 4, but we're going to go all the way through verse 9. So if you want to grab your Bible and go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, by way of reminder, um, this entire book, the book of Deuteronomy, is one long sermon. 
Now, I promise you mine will be shorter than Moses's. I promise I won't preach the whole book. Uh, you, can, you can exhale. But this was one long sermon, and it was, a, it was given um, before Moses died as the people were coming out of the desert. So remember, they, uh, they came out of Egypt. God redeemed them, but because they walked in disobedience, God caused them to wander in the desert for 40 years. And now they're at the end of that time. They're at the uh, the, the, the promised land, they're preparing to enter it, and Moses is retelling them the law. So Deuteronomy is, is called the second law. That's what the word means. Deuteronomy means second law or second telling. So Moses is recapping the events of the Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. In Deuteronomy 5, we see a retelling of the Ten Commandments, and now here we are in 6, and Moses is saying, before you go into the promised land, I need you to hear me tell you what matters most. And that's what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. We don't always do this, um, and we may not always do this, but I want us to do it today. I want to invite you to stand as we get ready to read God's Word together. Here's why I want to do this. There's just two reasons on my heart to do this today. The first is it's recognizing that Jesus said this is the greatest commandment in all the Bible, that that's what you see here. And standing just helps my heart acknowledge the weight of that. Um, The second thing I would tell you is that when I stand in the presence of God with the people of God and speak the word of God, it is a cue to my heart. It is a signal that something meaningful, something important, something holy is happening. And so for those reasons, I just want us to stand. It just reminds me that not only am I speaking God's word, but God's word is being spoken to me. And so with that in mind, I'll start reading in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'll read, you follow along. We'll begin in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, Shema, listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. Father, today... Uh, I'm asking that your word would do the work that only your word can do. God, that it would meet us where we are, that it would draw out of us what does not please you, that it would magnify for us the beautiful, glorious truth of your word. And God, that, that we would see you clearly, that we would hear your voice. We confess now, God, that we need your presence more than anything. So we are asking by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would illuminate your word, God. I ask you today what I ask every week. God, would you shield, protect, and guard your people from anything that did not originate in the throne room of heaven and given by the Holy Spirit? And would you just open our eyes to see you? I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys be seated. So I think what we see happening here in these first nine verses of Deuteronomy 6 is something 
really awesome. In the first three verses, Moses tells us, hey, there's a treasure I want you to transmit to your children. There's this thing, these things I want to teach you, and you are to transmit this treasure uh, to your sons and to your grandsons. And then in verse 4 and 5, he tells us what the treasure is. He says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is not one of many. He is the one. He is one within himself, and you are to love this one with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's the treasure. Of all the things Moses taught, he said, this is the thing that your children need to know and that you need to transmit to them. And now what we see in verse 6 through 9 is Moses begins to tell us how we're going to transmit this treasure to the next generation. So as we jump in this morning, here's my prayer. My prayer is that we will see some very practical but very powerful truths that are gonna, that's going to help us build the foundation uh, and framework for raising up leaders and disciples and kingdom builders in our homes. Amen? So let's start. Here's the first thing that I want you to see, and that is this. The essence of Christianity is not duty driven by law, but devotion motivated by love. I'm going to leave that up for a minute because it's super wordy. Right out of the gate, I'm already super wordy. You know what I mean? The essence of Christianity is not duty driven by law, but devotion motivated by love. I think we see this right in verse 4 and 5. Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall what? Seriously? I've already yelled at you one time for laying out on me. Okay, (laughs) when I leave that blank, that's your job. You get to jump in and, and participate with me. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the essence of what God desires for his people. Yes, God gives us rules, he gives commands, and he expects obedience. But at the core of all of this is the desire for us to be fully devoted to him because we love him. That's the essence of Christianity. It is a love-based obedience, not a duty-driven obedience. It's, it's, It's based out of... Love. Jesus taught us this in Matthew 22. You remember that moment when um, Jesus affirmed this teaching? Right before that, the Sadducees are, are, are trying to trap him and they ask him some silly question like, hey, who's, who's going to be married to who when we get into heaven? And they're trying to trap him and trick him. And Jesus just blows them up and says, hey, you're wrong. You don't know the word of God and you don't know the power of God. And he just dismantles them and Now the Pharisees want to crack at him, and among the Pharisees, they have a lawyer among them, and and he stands up and he says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? You see, because if he can get Jesus to elevate one part of the law above another, then he is in sin, and they can disqualify him, and they can tear him down. So they're trying to, once again, trap him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And in Matthew 22, starting in verse 37, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, behind whatever the motivation was for that question, listen, the question being asked is this. Of all the commands of God, of all the desires that God has for us, what is most important to God? What a question. Have you ever found yourself asking God, God, God what, is, what is the most important thing? Because see, if I can start to build my life around what the priority of God is, suddenly everything else finds its place. And whatever this lawyer's motivation was, he asked an unbelievable question. Have, God, what is it you want me to do above everything else? What is the most important thing in my life? And Jesus answers with Deuteronomy 6.4, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Don't miss this. Because this is the eternal word. According to John 1, that's Jesus. John 1, 1 says in the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus. This is the eternal word of God telling you what is most important in the living word of God. That matters. This is, this is the eternal word saying here's what's most important in the living word. And what is it? It is to be singularly devoted to God because we love him with all we are. Matter of fact, Jesus said this actually sums up the entire law. Now think about that. Because for the Jewish people, the law was something they couldn't even dream of beginning to keep. It was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws that were perpetually being added on to. They couldn't keep them. Matter of fact, Jesus called them a burden to the people. And Jesus said, this thing, Deuteronomy 6, 4, 5, he said, it sums up every law. This law that is a weight to you, this law that weighs you down, this law that you can't keep, it is summed up in this. Love God first. Love God most. That sums up the law. And that's what Jesus is teaching. But listen, I think for too many of us, our walk with Jesus has become a, a, a list of things we do and a series of boxes we check rather than a relationship. I think it, for too many of us, our relationship, our Christian faith has become a bunch of rules uh, that to obey and a bunch of commands. And that ends up being what we pass on to our children. And then we don't know why they walk away from the faith. They walk away because we never taught them how to love God, how to love his word. We never taught them the treasure of obedience. We never taught them that our highest satisfaction in this life was found in God's word and doing what it told me to do. Jesus is saying it ain't about the 600. It's about this one. Love God. Love God. There is a... I, I, I think what Jesus is trying to help us understand and what Moses wanted to be sure this generation understood as they went into the promised land was this. Your doing for God needs to flow out of your loving of God. 
your doing should flow out of your loving. But we get that flip, don't we? We believe the lie that says, if I do more, he'll love me more. And I'm telling you this morning, he loves you with an everlasting love. He could not love you more. It is a perfect love. And there's not a thing you can do that disqualifies you from that love. And the moment you begin to rest in it and you begin to love him that way, obedience is right in the wake. Obedience always trails love. It's never the other way around. Our doing should flow from our loving. Now, I'll tell you, I am, uh, I'm not the most romantic guy in the world. Carrie, don't say anything. I'm not the most romantic guy in the world. Um, I've got a few decades of marriage with many, many swings and misses, some of them epic and hilarious. And I cannot tell you about them because I still need for you to listen to me. Um, and so some of them are <laughs> really bad, right? I'm not the most romantic guy in the world. Guys, you feel me, right? But here's what I do. Every day, I get up in the morning at 5 in the morning, and I make the coffee. And, and then I make breakfast for family, and I get that going. And I, I get carry up, and we get the day going, and I make sure the boys are up and that they have everything that they need for their day at school. And when it's cold outside, 30 degrees, I'll go outside, I'll crank the van, turn the heat on, get the ice off the windshield, I'll come back in, I'll make her coffee, which is not normal, because it puts all kind of weird stuff in it, and so it's really hot chocolate by the time you're done. I do that every day, uh, and, and I get her and her crate out to the vehicle and load it, I get the boys loaded, and we go to school. Why do I do that? Is it because I like 5 a.m.? No. Nah. Now listen, am I a hero? Probably. I don't know. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> here's the point like why do I do that I don't love being outside when it's 30 degrees with no shoes on it's not my favorite but I do it because I love my wife I love my sons love my children and my daughter and I do it because I love them it flows out that doing flows out of my loving. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now think about that. He didn't say, if you keep my commandments, you'll love me. He said, if you love me, then the next thing that's going to happen is keeping my commandments. Why? Because doing always flows out of loving. But when you believe the lie that if you do more, he'll love you more, and your relationship with Jesus is nothing but trying to, to obey a law and keep a bunch of rules that you can't keep and check a bunch of boxes, then you are drawing down on a dry well. The well of obedience is, begins with love. And out of that, overflows obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, then, only then, not before, but then, you can begin to keep my commandments. And I think this is key. I think this is key for our homes. I do not believe God is trying to establish homes where the law is followed, but rather homes where he is desired above every other devotion and loved above every other affection. 
So the question we need to ask ourselves is this. In my family, in the life of my children, is there a growing devotion to Jesus above everything else because we love him more than anything else? And Listen, mom, dad, grandparents, aunts, uncles, this isn't something you can manufacture. This is something that is born in a transformed heart. Meaning what? Meaning that if if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you can't do this. It begins, the only way you can pass on the treasure of Jesus is if your heart has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus. So is he your Lord and Savior? Is a relationship with him a growing, thriving part of your life? The gospel moves us from duty-driven obedience to devotion motivated by love for him. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. You can't pass on what you don't possess. You can't pass on what you don't possess. We just kind of mentioned that. Look again at verse 6 and the first part of verse 7. Moses said, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. It's important not to miss the order here. Before he says in verse 7, to teach them to your children, he says, they must be where? On your heart. Now I want you to see the reality of what is happening. Now remember, this is the second and third generation out of Egypt that is about to enter the promised land. Their parents and grandparents died in the wilderness and weren't allowed to enter the promised land. These people that Moses is talking to were either babies when they left Egypt or they were born in uh, the desert and now they are the parents with children. So he's speaking to a second and third generation. And why is Moses telling this to them? Because behind this is the heart that says, your parents missed this. Your grandparents didn't get it. It's why they're not here to get into the promised land. Their bones are in the desert. You can't afford to miss it. He's reminding them that these commands are to be the center of our being and our desires. It is not enough, listen believer, it is not enough that it is in our minds, but it must be in our hearts must be in our hearts. Hell will be filled with people who know a whole lot about God. It'll be filled with people who came and occupied a seat in a church and their heart was never transformed. Moses is saying, don't miss this. I'm telling you the treasure. You're going to need to tell it to your sons and your daughters and your grandsons and your granddaughters. They need to know this, but you can't pass on what you don't possess. It starts in your heart. Why this focus on the heart? We, we, we listened with uh, Shane Pruitt last week, and he talked about how the heart is the hub. It's kind of the center of our emotions and our desires and our motivators and our feelings. It's kind of the well that everything flows out of. It's why David in Psalm 51 said, create in me a clean what? Heart. It's why he said in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. That's why I said in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart. 
Because David, that's just three places God's Word is filled with those, by the way. This focus on the heart. Because there has to be this love for God and love for His Word that we are cultivating as parents and grandparents, but that love begins in our hearts. And listen, you may have experienced this and you already know it's true. If not, I'm tell you it's true. Your children have, an, they have this sixth sense to smell out hypocrisy. <laughs> they just have it. I'm telling you. You ever had your kid call out your nonsense to you? Mm, that feels good, doesn't it? That feels like winning as a mom and dad. When your child goes, hey, the thing you said is the right thing to do. Here's what I just saw you do, or here's what I saw you say, or you said you feel this way about me, but this is what your words, you ever have them call out your hypocrisy? It's a unique blessing. Uh, they have this sixth sense. They have this uncanny ability to smell out hypocrisy. One of the reasons that 80 plus percent of the next generation stops going to church when they graduate high school is because all they've ever experienced is a faith that was preached and never lived. We're losing them by the generation because all we did was tell them what to do and never showed them how to do it. We told them how they should feel, but they didn't see our affections pursuing that. We told them what they should believe, but we didn't show them that belief transforming our lives. We told them what they should love, but we didn't show them what it looked like to have a love for those things change everything about how we live, where we go, who we're with, what we say, and what we do. The reality for us is what we do will always, always be louder than what we say will always be louder than what we say. And listen, this isn't about perfection in our children. It is about teaching them how to pursue Jesus. So the question is, are you studying God's Word? Is it a meaningful part of your life? Are you striving, striving to live your faith out authentically? Now let me ask you this question, and it's the one I've asked myself. If my children pray like I pray. If they read God's Word like I read God's Word. If they obey God the way I obey God. If they forgive the way I forgive. If they prioritize Jesus the way I prioritize Jesus. Will they have a relationship with God that satisfies? What if your children never experience Jesus past where you show them how? What if their relationship with God was only what yours is? Is that what you want for them? Would they learn to treasure Him? Would they learn? Now, understand. I know why it's quiet in here, because I'm preaching to myself, and I know this is hard to hear. But we need to rest in that question, because that question may change the way we get up in the morning and start living our lives with our children and our grandchildren. What if all they ever loved of God's Word is what I love of it? What if all they ever prayed was what I prayed? 
What if all they ever knew how to forgive was, with the, was the forgiveness I demonstrated? What if the only priorities they ever set were the ones I set in front of them? We must possess this in our heart, right? Before we can pass this on to our children. That's the second thing. Here's the third thing. Intentional discipleship happens through ordinary moments. Intentional discipleship happens through ordinary moments. If you look again at Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, the first part of that says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Moses says, all these commands that I'm telling you to to, to teach them and this treasure of, of the one Lord and how to love him, you shall teach this diligently to your children. That word teach, that Hebrew word is shanan. It means to impress or to mark or listen. It was also used to talk about the sharpening of a knife against a stone. Now, I love that picture, right? Moses said, you are to teach them, you are to sharpen them like a knife against a stone. It implies this constant pressing of the blade against the rock. Now, I grew up in the country, and I remember being a kid where we would be sitting watching TV at night, and my dad would take out the whetstone and a knife, and he'd sit in his Lazy Boy and start scraping that thing. Now, have you ever heard a knife against a whetstone? It's a lovely sound. Uh, it's a uh, it's nails on a chalkboard, especially if he's doing it right in the middle of Duke's a hazard. It'll ruin the episode, and it's frustrating. And so, but that's what would happen over, it's just repetitive, over until that blade was what he wanted it to be. But that's the picture that Moses is painting for the people. This is what he is telling them it is like. It is, it is a deliberate, on purpose, over and over and over again, which means what? Raising up kingdom leaders in our home is not a one-shot deal. It is an on-purpose, as-you-go-every-day process. That's what it is. He says, teach them, sharpen them over and over again. Disciplining, or excuse me, discipling the next generation, it is not done by accident. It is a constant, intentional Effort And listen, it's not about preaching to your kids. And all the kids in the room said amen. Right? <laughs> oh, You ever have that moment with your kids where you're talking to them and you know that what you say matters, but they've already flipped the light switch off, right? They just, they're just a blank. They're just waiting for you to finish so this whole thing can be wrapped up. Yeah, that's when you, <laughs> that's when you know you may have preached a little too long, right? This isn't about preaching to your kids, It's about the truth of God's word and the gospel of Jesus being modeled and imparted to them. And we do this in the everyday moment. So how do we do it? Look at what Moses says in the rest of verse 7. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. There is this as-you-go nature. That's what discipleship is. Right? It's these conversations that we get to have in these moments of our life. Parents, grandparents, listen. If we ever learned to capitalize on the moments 
that are presented to us that we can transform into gospel moments. It would change our home. What do I mean by that? I mean, how do you help your child pray through a difficult decision? Boy, that's a gospel moment, isn't it? How do you help them wrestle through when they were treated unfairly? That's a gospel moment. How do you give them advice when they're in a difficult relationship? That is gospel. Those are gospel. The, the day's coming where your kid is going to come home in tears if it hasn't happened already. Those are gospel moments. How do you celebrate when God does something good for them and you're able to come alongside them and celebrate? How do you teach them a life of holiness when the world around them is unholy? It is these everyday gospel moments. It is capitalizing on this as you go. I remember I was really little and we had gone to uh, Dangerfield State Park for a day. We used to go there all the time, I think, because it was free to get in, probably while we were there all the time. Um, I was little. I don't know how old I was, but I remember my brother on one side of my mom and me on the other were standing in line to go to the concession stands because it was time to get snow cones. And um, we're standing there, and we're just holding mom's hand, right, taking our turn in line. And I hear these big kids behind us. I don't even know if mom remembers this. There are these big kids behind us. And apparently, I don't know what they were saying, but whatever they were saying, she wasn't having it. And I remember my mom let go of our hands and she turned and she looked these high school boys in the eye who looked like giants to me. And she said, do not speak that way around my children. Now, I don't know if your parents have ever said anything that made the whole room awkward, but that's the, essentially that's what you say. That's how you do it. And uh, she said, she said, and then she turned right back around, held our hands, and we just kept walking forward to get our snow cones. And guess what? They stopped talking. <laughs> I learned some lessons that day. One of them is my mama is fierce, and you don't jack with her. And but here's here's the point. I I don't know how old I was. I don't know what day it was. But there is a memory seared in my mind because I learned something that day. And here's what I learned. Being considerate of others matters. I learned that what I say matters. I learned that the way we talk at home is the way we're going to talk in public. And if we don't do that, it's not okay. I have a memory seared into my mind because she capitalized on an everyday moment. Listen, that most of us, let's be honest, we'll just try to ignore and blow right through and try to get through. But this kind of discipleship, this kind of raising up of kingdom leaders, of people who know how to treasure God, it is capitalizing on the everyday moments. That's intentional discipleship. As you go, when you rise up, when you lay down, when you're walking, when you're riding, when you are eating, capitalize on those moments. Here's the last point. God's Word must control our hands, consume our minds, and cover our homes. I'm going to leave that up for just a minute. God's Word must control our hands, consume our minds, and cover our homes. If you look at verse 8 and 9 of Deuteronomy 6, here's what you see. Moses says, these things I'm going to teach you this treasuring of loving God above all other things. 
You're going to teach them diligently to your children, and here's how you do it. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, these verses are very interesting because the Jewish people took this literally. They took this absolutely literally, even though it was meant to be figurative. And so what would happen is they would make these little boxes, and in the box they would put this verse. They would put the Shema, verse 4 and 5, and then they would put it on a strap and wear it between their head, between their eyes. And then they would take that little box and they would nail it by the door of their home, or they would nail it out by the gate, and they would put these little symbols on their hands as a reminder of God's word. But that misses the point. The point was not that they physically do that. The point was this. Moses told them to bind this as a sign on their hands so that God's word would control everything their hands did. That was the point. He says, I want you to put this as a frontlet between your eyes so that God's word consumes your mind. He says, I want you to nail this by your door and out by the gate because God's word needs to cover your home. Listen, as we make God's word the priority in our home, it starts to infect, affect, influence everything. So when you need wisdom on how to help your children know how to navigate dating, if, if God's word isn't in your hands and in your mind and over your home, you're just shooting from the hip. You're doing your best to pull off your past failures. Well, I don't, I don't want to just pull off my past failures. I need divine wisdom in that moment when I need to help them know how to navigate when they were left out, when nobody else was. I need, divi- I need divine wisdom in that moment. This is what Moses is saying. Moses is saying, you're about to enter into a land that has many gods. I need you to just love the one true God. And I need his word to control your hands, consume your mind, and cover your home, or you're not going to make it in that land. Listen, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, leaders, we have a window of time with our children. We have a window of time with our grandchildren. Some of you this morning could stand up and testify to the fact that you only have a window because now your children are off and they've made you a grandparent. You've got that window. Parents, I know it may seem when you're tired, you're wore out, you're like, I don't think this is a moment. I think this is a forever thing. I don't think these children are ever going to grow up. They will, I promise you. It's why it's important that you're in community because then you start sharing your life with people whose children have and they remind you, don't miss the moment. You only get the moment, right? We have this limited time and it will end. And listen, we can't just be preparing them for athletic achievement or a good college or a good job. We have to be preparing them for a life lived with purpose, for a life lived on mission, for a life filled with the promises and purposes of God. Jesus called that the abundant life. That's our job. And we have to be preparing them not only for this life, but for the life they will have forever. 
I said in week one, your children will not stand beside you in eternity because they are your children. They will only stand beside you in eternity if they have moved from being your child to being your brother and sister in Jesus Christ. How do we do that? You evangelize in the home. You treasure what God says is important. You transmit that treasure to your children. You pass it on. You live it out every day in the everyday moments. You confess when you mess up. You learn to say I'm sorry to your kids. You learn to say I love you. You learn to say, I'm proud of you. You extend the grace that you've received. You lead with the love that you've been given. You cover them in the mercy that was new for you, so it gets to be new for them. Some of you right now are, are, are doing, you're, you're playing your failures as a parent. I'm doing the same thing. Do I know to lead with love? Yes. Do I, some, do I sometimes lead with impatience and frustration? You better believe it. It happens. So what do I do? I confess that. You want to demonstrate godliness? Take a knee in front of your kids and own when you missed it. I'm sorry. Dad was wrong. I shouldn't have spoken like that. I shouldn't have said that. Nothing. That's a demonstration of humility and godliness. We've got this window. We've got this moment. And in this moment, we have been entrusted to raise up kingdom builders, disciples, and disciple makers. We've been given this moment to raise up children and students who want to thrive in this life for the kingdom, but they have eyes for the next life that will last forever. So the question is, have you been transformed by this gospel? Have you been made new in Jesus Christ? Some of you may, your honest confession this morning may be, I can't pass this on because I don't possess it. I'm just being honest. I do not have a relationship with Jesus, and I need to do that. You can do that this morning. Just a minute, we're going to sing. We'll be standing down front. Our ministers will be here. We'll have our spouses with us. You just come. Come take us by the hand. We'll help you do that. Your confession this morning may be God's word is not a treasure in my life and I have no clue how to help it be a treasure in my children's life. But I need to start today. I need to figure this out. We can help you with that. It's why we have that next-gen resource. If you didn't get one of those, I want you to get one on your way out. Go by the welcome desk and grab one. It is an every day of the week thing that you can begin to do to build the habit of being in God's word and giving that treasure. Your confession might be, listen, I am just not teaching my children that nothing satisfies me like Jesus. They see me pursue other things to get satisfaction in other things, and what I need is for them to see that Jesus satisfies. Just start that today. So whatever it is that you need to confess, maybe it's to stay right there, kneel at your seat, pray. Maybe it's to get up and come forward, whatever it is. I'm asking you to step out in obedience, knowing God will honor that. He will be faithful to meet you there and to bring blessing. Church, I hope this is an encouragement to you. I know it is a challenge, but I hope it is fuel for the fire in your home to raise up kingdom builders. Amen? Let's pray. 
God, thank you for loving us and for the power of your word. And Lord, I am asking right now that in Jesus' name, over these next moments, you would move. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.